We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 13. We've come now to what we say is the doxology. A doxology really is just a short description, like a short burst of praise to Almighty God, the one whom we addressed in prayer. When we, we come before the Lord, we've been taught much, even in this prayer, how we are to address the Almighty. We are to ascribe unto him glory and praise, and we're to ascribe unto him honour, all that befits his glorious and his wonderful name. In the Bible, as we read it, prayer and praise is always joined together. If you're praying, you ought to be praising. If you're praying, you ought to be thanking if you're, you're praying, you ought to come before God with a, a heart full of gratitude and a heart full of praise to the Almighty. As we open this prayer, we address God as our Father. It's a wonderful thing that we have a Father in heaven. There are many who lost their fathers young in life. There are many who never knew their fathers in life. But every Christian has a heavenly Father that they can address and talk to every day but as we conclude the prayer we are lauding him in a different fashion we are lauding him as a glorious king who reigns in heaven because it tells us here in verse 13 for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen so this doxology, it has two functions. And as ever, context is always the principal key in studying the word of God. We, we never want to go out of context. So it relates to what precedes it. And also it relates to the prayer in its entirety. So today, <clears throat> because of time, we're just going to look at that first part of it. How this doxology relates to the preceding petition because all that's in this doxology, it flows from the final sixth petition. Remember we looked at it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as we see the doxology flows from it, I hope it will uh, encourage you today, even inspire your confidence today, that such a great God whom we serve and to whom we belong can give to us victory over sin, over trial, and over temptation. So firstly, notice with me concerning this wonderful doxology. It teaches us something about God's divine prerogative. This privilege belongs to God alone. His is the kingdom. Thine is the kingdom. God is the supreme king. He is the supreme sovereign. He is sovereign in creation. And we marvel as we look out at the sovereignty of God in creation. We read this morning in my own readings in Psalm 30 about how we are to ascribe glory and praise unto God. And then all the rest of the psalm opens up the great creative handiwork of God. We marvel of the sovereign handiwork of God and creation. We marvel that God just didn't put it there and then left it because God controls his creation by his providence. And even the smallest, the smallest action today is controlled 
by the overruling, riding providence of Almighty God. Because God's working it all together. So he's king. He's king over creation. He's king in providence. He is also king and sovereign in grace. We believe, if you come back tonight, we'll hear a lot more about that. About sovereign but free grace. Sovereign free grace. What do we mean about that? Well, God is in control over those matters that pertain to eternity. We thought about the parable in Matthew 22 in the children's talk. Well, it was the king who sent out the invitations. It was the king who put the guest list together. And it was the king and his servants who made sure that that reception for the son was fully furnished with guests and those who didn't accept the garments that the king gave they were put out that tells us something about his sovereignty of grace he is totally sovereign in grace and i think that all of this it gives to us assurance in the place of prayer and there's no place that you and i need assurance more than in the place of prayer because when we come to pray all all it seems all of the doubts all of the attack of hell is aimed at us is it worthwhile are you really talking to a god who hears or moreover are you talking to a god who really can intervene uh, and overrule in the affairs of mankind and this world and as we look even at this lord's prayer we are assured again that he's in control everything is under his control the lord made all things for himself proverbs 16 and verse 4 he made all things for himself even the wicked for the day of evil we have a great battle brethren and sisters We've looked at it in the past weeks. We battle against sin. We battle against self. We battle against Satan and his servants in this world in which we live in. And it's just reassuring today to know that we have a heavenly father. And he rules over all the things that tempt us and would waylay us and ensnare us. Dr. Kearns, whose memory we honour, he summarised this petition in the following manner he rules over every manifestation of evil god rules over evil you know that is something that we we struggle with as christians how, how can god overrule evil but god even makes evil to suit his own holy purposes and the outworking of this is way beyond our limited understanding and it's way beyond our comprehension but nonetheless nonetheless it is part of god's infinite plan dr helen roosevelt who spent many years serving god out in the congo was faced with evil which i trust none of us none of you will ever ever know her life was at risk personally every day and there were those that were spared the evil. But she wasn't. She wasn't. And she looked back on it. And even when she was undergoing the trial. God put this truth in her heart. Can you not trust me. With what I'm doing. 
And she was taught to trust God even in the darkest moments of life. And afterwards, of course, her experience and her confrontation with that evil was a means of bringing countless blessing to others who had gone through similar circumstances right across the world. And to whom she ministered the balm and the healing of the Lord. He overrules evil spirits. Uh, we, have, we, we have become so modernized in this world that we live in and so educated that there are many today don't believe in evil spirits. They don't believe that this world is full of demons. Well, I do. I really do because the Bible teaches us. But the Lord Jesus overrules them all. In the Gospels during his Life, the Lord Jesus exercised dominion over those evil spirits. Is he any less in control of them today than he was here during the days of his earthly pilgrimage? At his command, their dominance over individuals had to be broken. And who can break the chains? Those chains that bind men and women today. Nothing but the same word of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are, there are people today and they, 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 they play with fire, men and women. They play with fire in that they pretend that they have power over evil spirits. There's none of us have power over anything other than Christ himself. And it is his word and his word alone that can break the dominion of those evil spirits. We read in Mark 1.27 that with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Not amazing truth. The Lord Jesus, he commanded these evil spirits, and they obeyed him. Thine is the kingdom. He was the supreme king, even over the spirit world, even over those fallen, broken uh, spirits. He even overrules Satan. This is a profound truth. There are those and they imagine that God and Satan are equal powers in this world and they battle one against the other and one is battling it out for supremacy. God is not battling it for supremacy with Satan because God is king. He is in control. And Satan is under the dominion of the king of kings and lord of lords. The Bible teaches us that there is one supreme Ruler, one supreme power over all, and that is Almighty God. Now we know Satan is a creature of immense power, and we know he is the God of this world, with all of its fads, with all of its passing fashions. We know that multitudes, he has blinded the eyes of the multitudes, lest they would believe, and the glorious light of the gospel should shine into their hearts and into their lives. Maybe even your heart, maybe even your life in the service today. Would not be an awful thought. You're in a place where God is worshipped, where we've read his word, where we have sang his praise, and it could be said of you that, that Satan has blinded your mind, blinded your mind to the gospel and to the truth. That is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, nonetheless, God is over it all. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Satan's doom and destruction are already fixed by divine decree. And his little moment is coming to an end. Coming to an end very quickly. 
The Bible teaches us that God not only rules over those fallen spirits of the demonic world. He overrules Satan. He also overrules sinners. I was looking at that passage in the book of Genesis. If you turn with me there just for a moment to Genesis chapter 20. Here we read of a Christian who went astray. Who was he? The father of all who believe Abraham. And Abraham journeyed, Genesis chapter 20, from thence and toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And what happened? Well, he told a half-truth. Well, a half-truth is not a truth. It's still a lie. And he said to the king Abimelech that Sarah was his sister. And the king took her because she was a very pretty lady. And he wanted her to be his wife. But God stopped this ungodly man. And we read in Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6. God said unto him in a dream. Yea I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. That's amazing isn't it? We've all met men like Abimelech and we didn't know God was overruling them. God was restraining them. God was stopping them. And I, I believe in this world that we live in, God is still restraining, overruling, stopping evil men from doing even worse evil than they do do. Because if God didn't do that, we would all be destroyed. The battle would be so intense, we would all be destroyed. And the church of Jesus Christ on earth could not survive if God was not overruling in such a manner and in such a fashion. It's illustrated at Calvary, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. We read in Acts 2.23 that Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He looks at the very people who took the Lord Jesus Christ and put him to death. And he preaches the word to them. And he said, him... That is Christ being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. You have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Evil men took the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and God at the judgment was going to hold them accountable for their evil deeds. And yet we read here in so doing they were only fulfilling the eternal decree of almighty God. They were unaware of it all. But they were only doing the will of God. I always rejoice in the storms of life that God's in control. Maybe you're in a storm today. You're going through a very difficult passage along the journey of life. Has God gone out of control just because you're going through a difficult place? Not a bit of it. God's in control of where you are, who you're facing. There are many Christians that have to face very difficult circumstances at work. I believe that will only get more complicated as the day comes closer when the Lord Jesus returns. And we've been looking at that in the Bible study over the past few weeks. It'll get more and more complicated. But the Lord is over it. He's in supreme control of it. He's still ruling, he's still working, he's still controlling. And he's working all things out to his glory and for his good. 
I think it's good to focus on such things when we pray. When we come to pray, oftentimes we're just discouraged. And sadly, some Christians only come before the Lord when they're down and when they have a need. We're to come before the Lord at all times. Not just at those times, but even at those times when we come before the Lord. Let's lift up our heart. That's what we're singing in Charles Wesley's great hymn. Christian, lift up your heart and sing, because rejoice the Lord is King. And when we pray, we're reminded of this in the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom. Secondly, notice with me the plea that we're to use in this prayer. It's introduced to us by that little conjunctive. It says, for... For, because of, or on account of. And now we read the last uh, petition in the light of what has gone before. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because, on account of the fact, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever. Amen. So the doxology is reference uh, to, I think, all that has gone before, but it has special connection with the sixth petition. And Christ is teaching us to plead. This is the four, theologians say, of argumentation. We're coming with our arguments before God. We're presenting our petitions before Almighty God. Only God has the ability to deliver us. Only God has the ability uh, to take us out of the situation that we're in. Because not only is he the king, but he has the power. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the power. The people of God were many enemies. And the number of them and the power of them is legion. And sometimes they array themselves against the people of God and against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and were cowed down and were intimidated. And especially today the Christian is cowed down and intimidated in the public square as never before. But we are reminded that there's power and there's deliverance. There's power to bring us to the place of deliverance. Hezekiah was taught this many years ago. We read about it in 2 Chronicles. Let me just read it to you for sake of time. 32, 7 and 8. Be strong and courageous. Be not, as, be not dismayed nor afraid for the king of Assyria, for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. We're just a wee group of God's people. You might go back to your own congregation in the weeks that lie ahead, you're just a little group of the people of God, uh, comparatively speaking. But let's go to verse 8. It says, With him, that is with the king of Assyria, is the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Now I want you to think on that. With us is the Lord Jehovah to help us and to fight our battles. Oh, there are, some, there are some Christians, I think they're waking up in the morning and they're waking up with this thought, you know, who can I battle with or, or what battle have I to contend with? They're always contending. I, I like this verse here. The Lord fights our battles. If you're fighting your battle, it's no wonder you're being defeated. Let the Lord fight your battle. God has power to enable you to be the overcomer. And every enemy and every scheme that is put against you can be defeated when we pray. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power 
as we think of the tempter, as we think of the evil that surround about us, we are encouraged to remind ourselves there is power in the place of prayer for deliverance. Someone quoted that great verse in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 in the prayer meeting just before the service. Ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. If you want to know the key word in the Acts of the Apostles. It is the word power. Power. And where was this power to be obtained? In the place of prayer. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. The power. How do I get it? In the place of prayer. This is evidence right throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. Remember when the disciples were first forbidden to preach in Jerusalem and how they went back to their own number to the assembled saints in Jerusalem uh, and they went to report what had been told by them by the Sanhedrin council and they prayed and we read of their praying in Acts chapter 4 31 uh, to verse 33 when they had prayed it says the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness now they had been forbidden by the council at Jerusalem to speak any more in his name but now they prayed and what are they doing they're doing the very thing that they were forbidden to do they're speaking the word with boldness and we read in verse 33, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. The power to stand and withstand the evil is found in the place of prayer. I think the, the ultimate evidence of this is in the life of Christ. In Acts chapter 10 verse 58 we read concerning Christ. Sorry, 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. The Lord Jesus Christ at his baptism in the wilderness was baptized with the power of the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3 Remember how the Holy Ghost came down upon him. Matthew 4. How he faced the evil one. How did he face the evil one? In the power of the Spirit of God. Now you have to go out this week. And you'll have to go on to the building site. You'll have to go on to the, the work uh, front. You'll have to go into the office. You'll, you'll have to go into the home. You'll have to re-engage with the schools. With the colleges. And you'll face all types of challenges. And, uh, and you'll say Lord where are you? And the Lord said. The Lord will remind you, I hope, of this time you're in church. There's power to overcome it. For thine is the kingdom, the power. There's victory in this battle. Power belongs to him. In closing, then notice the praise which is due to the Father alone. Thine be the, thine be the glory alone. We're saved and we're sanctified and we've been taken to heaven. Why? So people will say, oh, we're, 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 we must be special people. There's nothing special about us. We're just very unworthy people. They've experienced something of the grace of God in their lives. But God's taking us to heaven, not that we might be praised, but that he might be praised. 
All the glory is his. All the glory is his. We read in Matthew 5. Remember those words we looked at many, uh, many months ago. Matthew 5, 14 to 16. Jesus said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works. Why? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light shine that your name might be up in the headlights. No. Let your works shine so it might, people might say aren't the great people. No. Let your lights shine. Let your works appear before men. That your Father which is in heaven may be glorified. That's all we're here to do. God has placed us here to bring glory and honour to his great and glorious name. The catechism reminds us about the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. Question and answer 107. It says for this, uh, this uh, doxology, doxology teacheth us to take our encouragement in prayer from God alone. And then our prayers to praise him, ascribing kingdom, power and glory to him. And then our testimony and our desire and an assurance to be heard, we say, Amen. What encouragement there is today in the place of prayer. <clears throat> there are many empty seats in the prayer meeting, brethren and sisters. And that would tell us that there are many Christians and they're discouraged in the place of prayer. The devil would seek to discourage you most, most of all other places from praying. But here's our encouragement to continue to pray. Even as we bring to an end our studies and what we know as the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's unite in prayer as we close our service.